0: Hello, my name's Phil King.
1: And I'm Cass Riggs.
0: And thanks for joining us in our search for the soulful leader. Now, none of us want to work in a soulless organisation. So how do we go about building the opposite? Organisations that can change our daily experience at work and provide us with a true sense of purpose.
1: We want to be part of a world where organisations exist beyond merely chasing the numbers, but where their leaders are consciously aware of the positive impact they can have on themselves, their people and wider society.
0: So we've created this podcast to learn from those leading the way with practical insight and inspiration for anyone looking to elevate the impact of their business right now.
2: There's this whole shift happening right before us where I don't have to fall into this corporate control, top-down, domination, classical framework. There's a lot of people that have just been surviving those models. They actually don't believe them, they don't like them, they don't enjoy them, but they've been trying to survive in those models. This week's guest is the wonderful and hugely
0: charismatic Justin Tomlinson. He's a vastly experienced leadership coach and facilitator, author of two books and an inspirational speaker.
1: Justin's energy, passion, and sometimes unorthodox approach has made him one of the most sought after consultants in the industry. At the start of our conversation, we asked Justin what he's noticing right now in the world of leadership and what's making him curious.
2: I think the major trend is that leadership is becoming much more demanding and not for the people at the top, but for people at all levels of the organization. This whole idea of self-directed teams, of bringing your whole self to work, not wearing the corporate mask, so to speak, but to just really be your authentic self, to provide your own answers, not to expect things to come top down. While that is challenging for some leaders, executive level people to let go, I think that the pressure is actually more throughout the organization to have people stand up and lead. mm that's really interesting, isn't
0: it? Because so many of these sorts of podcasts and conversations are all about the wonderful and positive and exciting direction that leadership is taking <laughs> without necessarily always recognizing, actually, but that some of this is, is potentially quite tough, right? This is putting new demands on leaders.
2: Yeah, and if you can imagine, I like to use the illustration where I have one hand above the other and the top hand is the organization and the bottom hand is the individual and if you see it that way, that you're looking up at the organization, it feels a lot like the pounding surf. You know, where you're in the ocean and you stand up and a big wave knocks you over and washing machines you. You try to get your bearings and get stood up right again. And as soon as you do, the next wave pounds you down. For me, the important thing about moving forward for people is rather than looking up and seeing the organization is above me the ones who can look at themselves on top of the organization like the organization is their platform and they have a mindset that says this is my life this is the contribution that i want to make and if the organization's aligned with that fantastic if they're not i'll find another platform but i'm going to live life on my terms The people who can get out of victim mode and out of the washing machine or the pounding surf are the ones who I want to follow, the ones I want to be around. I I don't want to spend my time in the washing machine with people complaining about all the bad things that are happening. That's a complete drag.
0: Brilliant. Look, we're going to really enjoy this conversation. Let's see if we can give those pounded leaders some respite and identify some inspiration for them thank you first of all for joining us it's a real pleasure to have you here and you're calling in from your sunny hometown of utah
2: yeah you know it's where i grew up and i've moved around a bit we spent as a family 13 years or so living in europe and uh, have ended up back here in our playground where we have all the adventures right out the front door yeah this is why i
0: love speaking to you i always find it quite inspiring you try and split your time your work life and your adventure life uh, fairly equally across the year
2: the last couple of weekends we've been dirt biking in the desert riding what's called the Torkerville Twister <laughs> so, tell me more what's the Torkerville well, Twister it, the Torkerville Twister basically is a single track dirt bike trail that goes uh, along a cliff band for i don't know 15 miles and ends up at this amazing waterfall that One of the things that you do is work with leadership teams very often
0: and take them into these kind of natural environments and then bring them together to connect with one another. What does that offer to you and to the leadership teams more so than perhaps doing that in the traditional classroom setting?
2: It's like having an additional participant that has amazing superpowers called Mother Nature. And I've never found a way to duplicate that environment, that feeling in the boardroom it just doesn't happen when you're in nature you you know get up in the morning and and have a breakfast together and maybe spend an hour and a half or so you start this conversation and then you go out and play either if you're on the houseboat you go surfing if you're in Moab we like to take the jeeps out and go rock climbing and what happens is the conversations continue but everybody tends to let down their guard there's no more pretenses and people are their natural selves and usually the conversations just go much deeper much quicker and there's a connection there that just doesn't happen sitting around a board table in the classical environment when you get into nature they're fully present and they're fully in the moment and it changes everything
0: so here's an idea There's some pretty inspiring stuff coming from Justin over the next half an hour. So if you haven't done so already, why not take the opportunity to create your own experience? Get out into nature, go to a local park, take a walk and listen to Justin on the move.
1: Feels like an awesome moment to ask the question when you talk about being fully present, about what soulful leadership really means to you.
2: I've been reflecting on that, knowing that I would be coming on this podcast and thinking about who are the leaders in my life that I consider to be soulful. And one of them is an artist and kind of a philosopher. He's a Swiss man living in in Greece. He's got to be in his eighties. His name's Peter Sipe, and one of the things he talks about is presence. And I always had this illusion that presence was somehow charisma. It's like somebody's style or the way they talked or the way they sounded or the way they walked or, you know, this charisma was the style type of issue. And what he's taught me is that actually what charisma is, is it's just the ability to be present. So people who have charismatic influence are basically the people who can be fully present with you. And for me, that's part of what I would consider to be the soulful part of leadership where I'm just fully present with you. And I'm really interested in you and your story and where you come from and why you think the way you do. And so I would say presence is the key to soulful.
1: And does that relate back to your description of being truly authentic, truly yourself? Is that the connection between the word soulful and presence for you or is that something else?
2: Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's more because I can be my authentic self and I can be natural or you know, no pretense, but that doesn't mean that I'm fully present. Meaning when I'm with you and having a conversation with you, I'm not thinking about something else. I'm not thinking about the evening plans or I'm not thinking about email or backlog or anything. I'm just fully present with you. So I think being present is one step beyond being authentic.
1: How do you feel that manifests in leadership when you describe the difference between presence and authenticity? How does that manifest? Maybe you could give an example if you have one.
2: I think it manifests through a feeling. It's not the words that are being said. It's the feeling that's being experienced. When somebody is fully present with you, you feel like you matter. You feel like you have something worth saying. You feel like you have a unique contribution to make. And I like what Stephen Covey used to say that, the greatest human need is to be understood. And somebody who is present with you makes you feel understood. That for me is the magic. I can feel that from you. Thanks, Justin.
1: So what led you to a place where you've defined soulful leadership as being that?
2: I had just started the business that I have now called Value Add Group and my business partner at the time had suggested to me that we should go to Greece and and meet with Peter because Peter could be useful in helping us frame this business and this opportunity that we saw. And I didn't want to go. I came from this place of arrogance where it's like, Martin, we've both been doing this business our whole lives. I mean, we know what we need to know. We know how to create a model that generates revenue and makes a difference. We don't need this Peter guy. And eventually he convinced me, probably because I'd never been to Greece and I heard about the white buildings with blue shutters and the magic seas. And so I, I agreed to go along. And Peter is an artist, so the bottom floor of his house is a studio. And we had our meetings just in the middle of his painting projects. And I remember I had been there probably about two hours when Peter was kind of done with me because I was the know-it-all. I had all the answers. And he's just this like interesting guy who said, Justin, come here, I want to show you something. And so we went to these double doors outside where you overlook the sea and he opened up the doors, but the deck had not been built yet. So instead of having a nice deck, there was just weeds and dirt and grass. And he said, yeah, step down there in the weeds there. So I did. And then he said, I want you to crouch down on your hands and and feet. Don't let your knees touch, just like squat down and tell me what you see. So there I am with my hands in the weeds and dirt, standing without letting my feet hit the ground. And he's like, what, what do you see? And I said, well, I see the dirt and I see the weeds. And there's an ant on my hand that's probably going to crawl up my arm, which I don't like so much. And he lets me suffer there a little bit, asking how comfortable I am. And I'm like, well, I'm not comfortable at all. And then he said, okay, now I want you to to gently, slowly lean back and stand up. And once I was stood up, he said, now what do you see? And it was amazing because I could see the sea, I could see sailboats, I could see people on the beach, I could see cars, ships and like paddleboard people and all these people having fun. But what was most interesting to me is what I could hear. When I was down on the ground, I don't remember hearing anything, but as soon as I stood up, I could hear the breeze. I could hear people in the distance in, in the downtown walking around and shouting and people at the beach playing. And he said, Justin, most people go through life down on their hands and knees where all as they see is what's right in front of them. They only see the dirt and the weeds. It usually is disguised as their role their self-importance and those few who stand up see a world of opportunity they look out and think what do I want to do today do I want to go to the beach do I want to go shopping downtown do I want to go to the restaurant and what's fascinating to me is I've learned as I work with new leadership teams within usually the first couple of hours I can see who's on their hands and knees protecting their turf only seeing their perspective. And I can identify those who are standing up and looking out at the broader landscape, even beyond their company, and seeing all of the possible opportunities. And it's it's night and day. And coming back to your original question, how did I get to this point of what I would mean by soulful leadership? Peter is this master teacher. And rather than speak at me and debate me and try to undress me in front of the others, which he could easily do. He basically gave me an experience and that probably links into, why do I like to take people into nature? Because it's not speaking or talking at people. It's experiencing with people. And Peter's become a great friend. We do a number of different projects together now. And I would consider him this artist, this philosopher, and probably one of the most soulful leaders I've ever met.
1: I challenge anyone to listen to that story and not feel touched by it, Justin. I felt as if I was in that place with you. Mm -hmm. I wonder... How do we create the space for an experience like this? What separates those with their hands in the weeds from those taking in the whole picture? And how do we put these ideas into practice right now?
2: The key difference is the ability to look beyond their own company. So, for example, as I coach people, one of the things I challenge them to do is start spending at least two hours a week thinking about how you'd solve the problem you're currently trying to solve for your company. How would you solve that at an industry level? What would that look like? And that tends to get people stood up straight and they're amazed how much more insightful they are even towards solving the problem for their own company. Probably The leader that comes to mind most is a woman named Michelle Rohr. She heads up regulatory for Roche, the pharmaceutical company, and her ability to work at the industry level and shape the future of healthcare from the perspective of patients and caregivers and what does the patient need and how do we bring all of the resources of all of big pharma to bear and even beyond pharma now, tech companies, the the whole enchilada, how do we bring all of that horsepower to make a difference for, in her case, regulatory? And what she's mobilized across the world is amazing. There's many people who discover what their unique contribution is and what their, you could call it purpose, or I use the word, find your horizon people who really find their horizon and know what they're all about and know what it is they want to bring to the world. Those are the people standing up.
0: That's brilliant. So so this leads on quite nicely, I think, to your book that you wrote alongside Thomas, your business partner, which is Live With Intent. And it feels like there's a real element of kind of identifying purpose and having a clear direction. Would you mind just summarizing the underlying premise, if you like, of Live With Intent? And how you see that overlap with soulful leadership.
2: This concept of a horizon, which means where are you going? What's your unique contribution? If you could be a thought leader, a trendsetter known professionally for something, what would that be? So on the professional side, it's helping people get a glimpse of where they would like to influence On the personal side, it's more about their legacy and how they want to be remembered. But it's really teeing up this idea of contribution and helping people, I would say in your terms, get to their point of soulful leadership. What does their soul yearn for? What do they feel their duty is? What is it that they're meant to do? And help people to get their hands around that the 12 live with intent principles have to do with where are you now, where are you going towards that horizon, and how do you get there? And each of the principles is hopefully something that enables people to apply immediately. So for example, the first principle is trust. Trust, as Stephen M. R. Covey says, is the one thing that changes everything if there's no trust, you're not going anywhere. And what you realize to really get what you and I want, it's going to require trust with other people 100% of the time. So that's really the foundation enabling principle. The second principle has to do with freedom, which is all about what we talked about in, am I in the pounding surf or am I standing on top taking, taking responsibility for my life? where I realize I have a choice and if something's not right in my life or if I'm not at peace with myself, if I don't feel free, that's on me. No sense in passing that problem or blaming anyone else, but if I own it, then I can truly experience freedom. So the principles build on each other towards helping people get to where they want to go. That's the essence of the book Live With Intent. So here's a question. What part do
0: trust and freedom play in your leadership? And how would other people in your organization reflect on that question? Justin shared his story outlining the value of a relationship built on trust with his business partner, Thomas Reichardt.
2: We had started a company together and we crashed it and I lost everything. I'd put everything into it and, and I lost it. And I was like living credit card to credit card and quite discouraged and had started taking projects and work that I wasn't good at, I didn't enjoy, and I was just doing it to make money, to survive. I was talking to Thomas one day and a little bit in the victim mentality, lost my freedom and woe is me and complaining. And Thomas said, Justin, it's been a couple of years now. You, you got to let this go you've got to get back to doing the work that you love. Because if you don't do the work that you love, you're not happy. And then he gave me this line that I hated at first, but now I like. He said, look, if you've trained for years and years to be a doctor, you have a duty to be a doctor. You've trained for years and years, had some of the best mentors in the world to work on leadership. And if that's not what you're doing, you're unbearable. And then he said, you know what? Get back to doing what you were born to do. And if you run out of money, you can come live with me. But if you keep doing what you're doing, none of us can live with you.
0: I've got a couple of things i'm quite keen to just explore with you a little bit previously we had deborah Rowland on a lot of what she spoke about in the podcast was really about it starts with us you know it starts with me and i suppose being present and needing to be in that place where you understand self first before we can really accept where we are and almost release yourself from that to some extent so that you can move forward
2: yeah and i would say maybe take ownership for where we are Hmm until we take ownership for it, then we're expecting somebody else to solve it for us, which will probably never happen. So becoming aware of where we are and owning it is basically the starting point for freedom. Because as long as I don't own it, I'm a prisoner to someone or something or dependent on them to sort it out. So for me, what's helpful there to achieve freedom is to understand what your reactive triggers are, to understand what pushes your buttons. In my case, I usually find the family scenarios are where you learn really where your buttons are because they know how to push them really well because they know you so well. And I, I like to say that your home is the great leadership laboratory. You know, once you know those triggers, the things that are going to send you into victim mode or into a downward spiral, then you can start to decide in advance that you have a choice to respond differently to those triggers. One of the classic ones that, that happens in corporate life is people being annoyed by other people not carrying their weight, not pulling their wagon. And I see in a lot of organizations where we have a system where we punish the best performers because we know they'll deliver. So we just keep giving them all the important projects, stacking more and more on them, while you have some others who are just skating along cuna Matata and not being held accountable and have a pretty great life without carrying their weight. And for some leaders, that's a trigger, right, to get annoyed by those people. And you can allow yourself to be annoyed by those people and suck the energy right out of your own life, or you can take ownership for it and say, how could I inspire them to contribute their portion? Maybe they just can't see their potential or their portion and, or it can be an and or, how do I hold them accountable for carrying their weight? And even if it's uncomfortable for me, that's the two big things, know your triggers and decide in advance to proactively choose how you're going to respond in an effective way that doesn't drain your energy. That's freedom. You can tell how free you are by assessing where your energy is going. Is your energy going into reaching your horizon fulfilling your purpose or is your energy going into empowering the weaknesses of others and being consumed by the downward spiral
0: this notion of purpose or horizon as you refer to it how do you recommend people or leaders particularly go about really identifying that that purpose for them and how do they know they've landed on it
2: The beautiful thing about the horizon concept is that your horizon is always on the move. So the closer you get to it, the more perspective, knowledge, and insight you have. And with that perspective and insight, it's going to shift. If you've ever been hiking and you think, oh, I'm almost at the top. And then the closer you get to the top, you realize, don't, that's not the top. I just couldn't see what was behind the ridgeline. I couldn't see what's behind that horizon. And I like to bring that up because sometimes people are in this mindset of the classical vision or mission or purpose where they feel a lot of pressure that they have to declare. For example, we're going to send a man to the moon. And then they don't deviate from that constitution until they have planted their flag on the moon. And in the horizon concept, you may be on your way to the moon and decide that Mars is much more interesting for you personally. So it's not this rigid, fixed, constitutional thing. It's giving liberty probably to your concept of soulful leadership to say, listen to your soul. As you start moving toward your horizon, ask, hey, what result did I get in that first step? What am I learning? Is the horizon still the same? And be open to your horizon evolving. So for example, if you look at healthcare there's this accelerated movement towards precision medicine or personalized healthcare. And the healthcare system is starting to go through the radical transformation that comes from going digital. And so you have people that think, you know what, I want to be part of that. I want to contribute to these technological breakthroughs. They don't know how. They just know, they feel it. They want to go towards that. So, hey, you know what? Start moving towards that horizon and along the way, be open to the insights. And then you'll have somebody that'll start moving towards the horizon and realize that, wow, I'm amazed at what artificial intelligence does. I had no idea how powerful that is and how prevalent it already is in other industries. And they become fascinated with artificial intelligence. So maybe their horizon shifts more towards artificial intelligence where somebody else has no interest in artificial intelligence, but they start to see how empowering simple apps can be in people taking care of their own health. And so they start to move down this road of, I'm really fascinated with enabling patients to have more real-time insight and a direct connection with their doctor's. So they all started towards precision medicine, but then it starts to fragment as they move towards it. And yes, you follow your soul. You follow your unique value add. What is it that only you can uniquely contribute based on your experience, your network, your knowledge? That for me is the connection between horizon and soulful. And this is where it all gets really exciting.
0: What you're talking about here is really transforming healthcare, potentially connecting dots across the vast network and really thinking about how we can make some substantial and long-term change. And I know that your podcast is very much focused around that, bringing Mm -hmm. in different parties into that conversation. What have you learned from your experiences there and the conversations that you've been having around transforming healthcare?
2: Well, probably the first thing that I've learned is that it's going to happen anyway, whether you and I choose to be part of it or not, it's going to happen. Just like in the banking industry, you use an ATM and now you don't even use them anymore. You just use Venmo or some other platform to to exchange money and cash. So that radical transformation is coming to healthcare, whether anybody likes it or not. So the opportunity is to figure out how you can contribute to that in a meaningful way. And that may be as a caregiver, that may be as a patient, that may be as a person like me who doesn't have any serious health problems yet, but is starting to uncover and realize there's a lot of easy things that my wristwatch can monitor and give me feedback on that could be useful, will be useful as I get older. So, why not start to in, embrace those things now? So, it will take everybody. Technology is not the bottleneck. The bottleneck is more around freedom and choice and mindset for patients to go from abdicating the responsibility to whatever their doctor tells them, which is kind of my parents' mindset versus, hey, you know what? I could actually develop quite a bit of knowledge quite rapidly about something I'm concerned about. And I could figure out which are the best questions that I should be asking my GP and take ownership for that. So that's an exciting world because it touches all of us.
1: It feels to me that the world is going through radical transformation and we have a once in a generation chance to do things differently. Interestingly, in the wake of a global pandemic, in many ways, the big healthcare and diagnostics organizations have been leading the way. As we continue to see change, social change and environmental change, how businesses ready themselves to lead sustainable success for ourselves and for the planet is the question we really need to explore.
2: If you look at what's happened with COVID-19, It's no longer been this fierce competition. It's been all hands on deck. Let's bring the best resources from all the companies. We think that, for example, Roche has the molecule that we want to bet on, but we actually want Pfizer to develop it, and we want GSK to manufacture it, and we want Amazon to deliver it. How do we shift the whole ecosystem beyond what's the budget? To what's the purpose? And how can we be purpose driven versus budget driven? And I think that's one of the the things that's coming from the next generations of of people, The, the younger people. I think they are more focused on a purpose driven contribution than being the most mighty, being the most wealthy beating someone. I think that there's really a commitment and a desire to solve society problems together without worrying as much about where the credit comes from.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? That there presents quite a burning platform for leaders today, right? (laughs) That are currently clinging on to traditional models of of leadership that they've been brought up through is that there's a newer generation of people that that are driven and motivated by an entirely different thing.
2: You know what, though? Let me jump in there because I think there's a lot of people that have just been surviving those models. They actually don't believe them. They don't like them. They don't enjoy them, but they've been trying to survive in those models. And they, even my generation and and older people who want it to be that way, but just couldn't figure out a way to make it happen. And so it's not like the answer is all in the younger people with the new mindset. I think there's this whole shift happening right before us where our generation 50 plus are being set free are finding liberty to say oh i don't have to fall into this corporate control top-down domination type of classical framework it's really a beautiful thing that's that's happening
0: I'm just going to let you get away with that 50-plus generation comment and assume that you weren't talking to me. (laughs) He's
2: definitely
1: talking to me, mate. You're all
2: right. (laughs) I'm I'm surprised you have facial hair you're so (laughs) young.
1: Keep that bit in, Tom,
2: please.
0: I'm interested to know what advice uh, you would offer your 20-year-old self to help guide them.
2: Well, the first idea I would say would be leaning into conflict. Freedom comes from leaning into conflict. If I think about my own life and my own experience. So I had planned to live the rest of my life in Switzerland. The the path was clear moving back to the U.S. when my business network, clients, everything was in Europe, it, it felt impossible, even stupid. A massive disruption. But you know, the only thing that felt worse than that is the decision of not supporting my wife, who was ready to quote, come home. After living a nomadic life and traveling through Europe for a dozen years, she was ready to come home and have our kids know their grandparents and have some other experiences. And so there was conflict. It wasn't easy. I felt trapped, fearful, you know, sometimes angry and leaning into that and not being afraid to be clear with where my soul was and finding out where hers was, ironically, is what set me free. Months of tension dissolved once I made the decision to buy in and say, okay, we're going to move back to the US. And you know what? I, I knew from the beginning it came up. It was the right thing to do and there's nothing more miserable than arguing a point that you know is wrong <laughs> but but sometimes we do it and we keep ourselves captive in in this conflict or this tension and so for me the learning is just lean into that yes maybe it's uncomfortable maybe it's going to have a different outcome than what we think and what i've learned from that is that It's not only possible to have your business in Switzerland and live in Utah, it's been fantastic. So sometimes I think people swallow conflict. Sometimes I swallow conflict and live as not my best self and even resentful or just have something draining my energy because I just don't lean in and address the conflict. So I think that actually the way you discover soulful leadership is probably through leaning into conflict and through making mistakes. So I I think those are the tips that I would have is, you know what? Mistakes are part of life. So go for it. When they happen, just own them. And if you have a conflict inside of you, Maybe it's just with yourself. Maybe it's with family. Maybe it's with colleagues, work, whatever it is. Just lean into it because isn't that where freedom comes from, is settling a conflict?
0: Thank you, Justin. It's been a wonderful conversation. You've been open and honest with us, and it's been really inspiring and fascinating as well. So thank you ever so much for your time. Enjoy your next adventure, wherever that may be.
2: Yeah, I will. Thank you, guys.
1: The exercise we want you to consider this week relates to your presence, what Justin defines as the key to soulful leadership. We'd like you to reflect on these three questions in relation to a specific interaction you've recently had with a colleague, so have that in mind. On a scale of one to 10, how present do you think you were in that conversation? If there was one change that you could have made to move you one point further up the scale, what could that have been? And had you done that, what impact do you think it might have had on the interaction? And what will you do differently next
0: time? You can find all the links relating to the topics discussed in this podcast in the show notes, including Justin's book, Live With Intent, and his podcast of the same name. Thanks again for joining us in our search for the soulful leader. We've been Phil King and Cass Ricks.
1: We'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast and any ideas you might have for guests or topics that might enrich this conversation.
0: If you want to make contact with us, email podcast at soulfulleadership.uk or you can visit our website at www.soulfulleadership.uk.